It's October 2001. Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, steps on stage. The audience is filled with journalists and tech geeks waiting to hear what new revelation Jobs has in store. They're expecting to hear about personal computers. After all, that was Apple's main product. Instead, Jobs walks around the stage, diving into something completely different. The portable music industry. The field that we decided to do it in, the choice we made, was music. Now why music? Well, we love music, and it's always good to do something you love. The new product he's about to reveal? The very first iPod. Over the next few years, the iPod became the best-selling music player in the world. It revolutionized the way users interacted with their music library. People could carry all of their songs in their pocket and scroll through them easily with a responsive touch wheel and a beautiful screen. And then, in 2005, at the peak of its iPod sales, at the peak of Apple's most successful product in history, they did something drastic, something that completely changed their product. Its use, its target audience, its price, everything. They removed everything that made the iPod so iconic. The responsive touch wheel, the beautiful screen, and most of the memory. Can you guess how customers responded? They loved it. You see, once Apple removed the screen, the touch wheel, and part of the memory, this iPod turned into something new. All of a sudden, it was small enough, light enough, and cheap enough to service new markets. It was now so light that athletes could strap it on their arms and go for a run. It was cheap enough that almost anyone could afford it. And it was so simple to use that almost anyone could use it, not just the tech-savvy types. The iPod Shuffle was a hit. In fact, so much so that it outlasted the classic iPod. Less became more. So how did they do it? How did Apple imagine that a product with less functionality would actually be better? And more importantly, could they do it again? And could you do that in your business? That is what this course is about. This is Inside the Box Thinking, a course by Professor Jacob Goldenberg and Drew Boyd. In this course, you'll learn how to systematically and consistently think in a creative way so you can get better results at whatever you're working on. Is thinking innovatively a gift or a skill? Is it something you're born with, like a musical ear? Or is it something you can learn just like you learn a new card game or sport. Can your creativity simply be turned on with a simple process? And if so, how? A few years ago, Drew Boyd and Professor Jacob Goldenberg sat down to tackle this question. Professor Jacob Goldenberg is a marketing professor at the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya and a visiting professor at Columbia University. A lot of the systems we learn are based on his research. Drew Boyd founded and directed Johnson & Johnson's Marketing Mastery Program. He is a longtime trainer and consultant on innovation, 
as well as the director of the marketing program at the University of Cincinnati. Their work together led them to design a simple, powerful, and effective system to help people become more creative and innovative. They even wrote a book on the topic, which has been translated into 13 languages and sold worldwide. It's called Inside the Box. That's right, how to think inside, not outside the box. In this book, they guide you on how to use a set of simple tools in order to think more creatively and innovatively. They are passionate about their work and their message. They believe that anyone can become more creative and come up with creative and innovative ideas, no matter how creative you think you are or afraid you aren't. Their course has been taught at leading universities around the world, including Columbia, Wharton, Harvard University, and the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And now, they're bringing their work to you in this course. Drew and Professor Goldenberg will share everything they've taught and implemented over the past 20 years in their work with companies such as Johnson & Johnson, SAP, Procter & Gamble, as well as their academic careers. Let's dive in to what you'll learn. You'll learn five frameworks that you can use to think creatively. These frameworks are called subtraction, division, multiplication, unification, and attribute dependency. We'll be learning each one much more in depth throughout the course, so if you didn't catch them all, no worries. At the core of these frameworks lie two principles. The first, function follows form, and the second, the closed world. To unpack these principles, let's go back to the iPod Shuffle. Here's the challenge the entire industry was facing back then. How do you create a music player that is small, light, and cheap, and yet has enough memory and functionality to serve the customer? If you start from this problem and work forwards, the way most of us usually approach a challenge, where do you start? Do you try and find lighter materials? Do you shrink the music player? Or maybe specific parts? Do you cut some of those parts out altogether? Maybe you should just start from scratch and design something completely new. You can see the dilemma. The products are all pretty much the same. So let's just take a look and pick one of them and take a look. They all have some attributes. The real key here is that these products are trying to be as easy to use as an iPod, but they've got these very tiny displays and no click wheels. They're really hard to use. They're hard to find your music. You're sitting there trying to navigate around these things and it's a lost cause. It's hard to know what elements are most important for the customer. Most of Apple's competitors had trouble tackling this problem. In fact, most tried to make their products smaller simply by shrinking everything, the screen size and the buttons. But the outcome sucked. Their products were hard to use, the screens were too small, the buttons not convenient, the entire experience was terrible. Now think about it another way. Let's say I show you an iPod Shuffle, which is already small, has no screen, and can store only 240 songs in its memory. And I ask you, what are the benefits of such a device? Who could use this? Well, you could think, it's small and light enough to carry or tuck into some sleeve holder. You can fiddle with it easily while you're moving. And athletes don't usually need more than 200 songs during a workout anyway. And you don't want to blow your budget on something you're going to sweat all over. 
You could easily imagine that this could be a great music player for athletes. It's much easier to imagine the function for a device and who it's useful for once we see its final form. So what did we just do here? We turned the problem around. We started from the solution, from the conceptual product, and worked backwards. This is different from the way we usually tackle problems, where we start from the problem and work our way forwards. And guess what? When we work this way, we think more creatively and come up with many more ideas. This was first noticed by a group of psychologists back in 1992. They even gave it a name, Function Follows Form. This principle says that once you see how something is shaped, as in its form, it's much easier to imagine its function, who it will serve, and why. Now, you might be asking at this point, great, but how do we conceptualize that form? Well, the five frameworks I mentioned before, subtraction, division, multiplication, unification, and attribute dependency are what we'll use to break through our mental blocks and imagine new conceptual products. They will help us go from the iPod to the iPod Shuffle. Once we've imagined a new product, we'll use the function follows form principle to figure out who can best use it and why. The second principle is that of the closed world, which was discovered and defined by Dr. Ronnie Horowitz. We'll be diving much deeper into the second principle in the next few lessons, but for the moment, here's the definition. It turns out that our solutions are often found when we stay within the confines of our very own problem, and not when we search all over the place for it. In our iPod example, the closed world was the iPod itself, the solution for a smaller, better, more streamlined iPod for runners didn't come from searching out there to find a new kind of metal or memory card. It came from staying much closer to home in the closed world, so to speak. It came from recognizing that the components of the solution were at hand and were actually even part of the problem. The screen and the touch wheel were what made the iPod too large and expensive. During this course, we'll learn how the two principles of function follows form and the closed world can be used in a systematic fashion together with the five frameworks I mentioned above. Our guides throughout this process are two experts in the field. Drew brings to the table his years of experience running innovation workshops at large corporations, and Jacob will share all the insights he's gleaned from years of research. Together, they'll walk you through these tools and frameworks so that you can implement them in your own work and life. Join us to see how, no matter where you are along the creativity spectrum, you can become more creative, more innovative. Creativity is a skill you can master.